0: Well, we have a pretty amazing water district in Lemon Cove. And if you don't live in Lemon Cove, you may not know this. But, uh, of course, there's not Lemon Cove's not big enough to be on, like, part of a major utility or something like that. Uh, and there are no pipes that run from Exeter to Lemon Cove or Three Rivers to Lemon Cove. Uh, we actually have a volunteer water board. And... Uh, They just a group of people in town who said uh, we're going to put together a community water system. They run it by themselves. You know they obey all the laws. They do all this stuff. Some of the people who run that water board are actually here at the church. Uh, I know Mr. Barnes and Mr. Lampman uh, do a lot with that. They also, I believe, come and read your meters. So if you have problems, they want to hear about it. I just want to let you know that. Yeah, and Mike's pointing to George. George doesn't know. (laughs) But we... but of course, out here, uh, we have problems with water in the valley, don't we? Uh, all this agriculture everywhere means that nitrates get into the ground, and they contaminate our water. And every, I think it's twice a year, isn't it, guys? I get a, a letter from the water district that says, uh, just so you know, there are too many nitrates in the water, it exceeds the allowable limits, and you're eligible for you know, help with your water in this way and that way for these reasons. Now, nitrates are tough. Uh, I didn't know any of this before I moved out here, by the way, but now I know. Nitrates are really difficult to filter out of water. (laughs) And it's also a little controversial about whether or not they really need to be filtered out of water. But let's just assume, for the purposes of my sermon this morning, that they do. Nitrates are tough to get rid of. And when I lived in L.A., uh, L.A. has awful-tasting water. And so what did I do? I lived in an apartment, so I wasn't going to make major structural changes. We went out and we bought a—anyone know it? A Brita. Right? It's that pitcher and it's got a, a carbon filter inside and you know, the water goes in the top and through the filter and it comes out the bottom. You keep it in your fridge and when you pour out a cup of, you know, a glass of water, uh, it tastes better because it's gone through the Brita. But here's the thing about the Brita. Pretty much the only thing that's, tr- that's changed about the water from the top of that pitcher to the bottom is that it tastes better. It doesn't really filter out most of the the pollutants. It gets some of them, and it certainly doesn't tackle those nitrates. So people out here, we have different things that we do. Maybe we have reverse osmosis. Maybe we drink bottled water, whatever it is. But, you know, the Brita is just not going to cut it, even if it makes that water taste a little bit better. And where am I going with this this morning? Uh, Cornelius did not have a Brita, neither did Peter. That is 20th and 21st century technology. But Peter had a problem that was very common among people in his day, and that's very common among people today, of looking around and saying, I really wish I could put Cornelius through a Brita. I really wish that I could make Cornelius's race or Cornelius's lifestyle, or Cornelius's look more palatable, better tasting, so that I will be willing to be around him. Why do I say that? Well, Peter is a Jew, and Cornelius is a Gentile, which to the Jews basically means he's not a Jew and I uh, When God had called this people Israel out of Egypt, he made it clear, you are to be my special... People set apart and separate from the rest of the world. Not so that you would never interact with anybody, but so that you would be different. And Peter knew that. Peter was a good Jew. He knows that he's supposed to be careful about his interactions with people outside of Judaism. So to give you an example, in the 2nd century BC, about 200 years before Peter, there is a book that uh, was written called the Book of Jubilees. And the book of Jubilees was a Jewish work. It's not in our Bible, but it's sort of a commentary on Genesis and Exodus. And in the book of Jubilees, it says Gentiles, I'm paraphrasing a bit here because I left the quote in my office, but it says Gentiles are gross and dirty and make you unclean. So don't go to their houses. Don't invite them in, but keep yourself separate so that you won't be polluted by them. Because what do we know about filtered water, right? If you filter water and then you take unfiltered water and you mix them together, it doesn't matter how well you filtered that first batch of water, it's dirty again. And when Peter came into contact with Gentiles, that's what he would have felt like. They are like dirty water. I am like clean water. And if I get too close to them, I will become dirty myself. You know, we have people in our own lives where we worry that they'll make us dirty too, don't we? We look around and sometimes it can be based on all sorts of different things. Uh, And when I bring some of these up, I don't mean to minimize anyone's feelings or, you know, to permit any lifestyle that's out there, you know, because we should just live and let live. But I am saying that sometimes we make judgments about people and stay away from them because we're afraid they will make us dirty. Maybe it's uh, somebody who is covered in tattoos. Um, when I was in college, I went to Utah on a mission trip to the Mormons. We went and did a lot of different sorts of ministry. One of them was door to door ministry, and I admit my feelings weren't 100% pure on that because there was a little bit of revenge, like, see how you like it, <laughs> as I bang on the door. But uh, that is the unholy part of me, let's just put it that way. And one of the things that we did when we were going out to Utah is they, uh, the leaders of our mission trip said, you need to, if you're a guy, cut your hair short, shave yourself clean, wear a shirt and a tie and slacks. And we were amazed by how it let us connect with people over there. We were amazed by how many people said, you you are such good and wholesome young men because of the way we were dressed, because we ran ourselves through the brita. And, of course, uh, the women had other things. They had to wear a dress, you know, keep their hair long, all sorts of things, too. Ran themselves through the British so that we were more acceptable. But for us, you know, maybe it is like, that guy is covered in tattoos. I don't think that I'd be comfortable around him, or I don't think I'd like him, or I think that he's he's not very good. If you're here with tattoos this morning, you are welcome and you are 100% accepted. But sometimes something as silly as that will make us say, ugh. I don't want to get near. I might get dirty if we get mixed up together. Sometimes it's for reasons that are entirely unacceptable and inexcusable. Sometimes we say, I don't like the color of that person's skin. I don't like their nationality. I don't like their socioeconomic status. And if I could just run them through the Brita, you know, if I could make them more like me, is really what we often mean, then I'd be comfortable around them. Then I wouldn't worry about feeling dirty after I've been with them. Peter has this problem. He thinks that the Gentiles will make him unclean and impure because the Gentiles are unclean and impure in and of themselves. But then this story happens. There is this man named Cornelius. He is a Roman. He's a Roman citizen. He's a centurion, which means he's in charge of about 80 to 100 people in the Roman army. He would have made a a fair amount of money and had a good living. He would have been fairly wealthy. He lived in Caesarea, which was a city that Herod the Great actually built. It was on uh, the coast of the Mediterranean Sea, and Herod said, There's a great port in Alexandria, a great port in Athens. This is going to be the great port. For the province of Palestine. And he built it as a Roman city, not a Jewish city. So all the Jews around there probably didn't like going to Caesarea. Because even though it was brand new and beautiful and sophisticated, it was full of everything that they thought they needed to reject about the world. Cornelius lived there. But there's something unusual about Cornelius. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing, which means specifically that they worshipped the God of Israel. They worshipped the Jewish God. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God regularly. And one day, at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God. And the angel told him, I've heard your prayers. There's a man named Simon Peter in Joppa. You send for him and bring him. Because he has something that you need to hear. So Cornelius immediately obeys. This is so amazing about Cornelius and I think it teaches us something as well when God is speaking to us there are two sorts of ways that he can speak uh, there are ways where he can tell us something that is not morally significant right go get Simon Peter there is no moral question about this it's not controversial whether or not you know Simon Peter should be summoned to Cornelius's home there are other questions that sometimes we ask God we say I don't know what to do in this situation you know should I you know stay in my marriage or leave my marriage or something like that that the Bible clearly speaks to. God clearly says something about. They're not really open questions in that sense. And so when we hear from God or when we think we hear from God, we then go to our friends in Christ. We go to the word of God and we question, we ask, is this really what God wants me to do? What does His word tell me here? If God says to you, I want you to speak to that person, you don't have to sit down and pray about it long and hard. You can just go and do it. And that's what Cornelius does. Now we switch to Peter, and I think that this story wants us to see that there are things happening at the same time. God is working this out for Cornelius and Peter to come together. So these men are journeying about thirty miles to Joppa to come get Peter. Probably going to take them all day or more, and. Uh, About noon the following day, as these men from Cornelius are on their way, Peter goes up to the roof of his house, or the house he was staying in Joppa, to pray. He went up to the roof because, gosh darn it, it's hot in Palestine, and there's no air conditioning, and sometimes there's an afternoon breeze. So he went up to the roof to get cool. And as he's praying, he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. And he saw something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners, and it contained all sorts of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And he heard a voice say, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Now, I have never needed to kill in order to get my food, but in this case, Peter is very hungry. He lives in a society where that's a more common way of providing for their dietary needs. And so Peter, this is a reasonable thing to say, but Peter says, no, I see that there are unclean animals here. I would be breaking my religious dietary laws that you gave us, God, if I killed these animals and I made a meal out of them. Peter's doing the right thing, isn't he? The law says don't eat the unclean animals. Peter is hungry, so he's tempted to do it. But like Jesus in the wilderness, when Satan says, turn these stones into bread, Peter's like, there is something more important than just satisfying my hunger, and that's being faithful to God. But then God says something shocking. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. And the voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Actually, in this vision, Peter is hearing the words of Jesus back at him again. Jesus has said, it's not what goes into a man's mouth that makes him unclean, but rather what comes out, because that comes from his heart. And that says a lot more about the kind of person you are than the food that goes in. And this happened three times And I'd imagine it happened three times for at least a couple of reasons. The first is that uh, Peter would be less inclined to believe that it was just, I'm so hungry, I'm hallucinating, when it happened three times. But more importantly, I think it's because God is being emphatic and saying, I am really serious about this. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. So... Peter has just finished having the vision, and he's wondering about it. And the men sent by Cornelius come and knock at the door. And uh, someone says, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go. I'm sorry, the Holy Spirit says to him, Simon, three men are looking for you. Get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. And Peter went down, and he saw, these are Gentiles. And I can't be near Gentiles because they make me unclean. But Peter says, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? They said, we have come from Cornelius. He loves God. He is respected by the Jewish people. And an angel said, we should come and bring you to Cornelius' house. And then something amazing happens. Jews don't invite Gentiles into their house but Peter does. The next day, Peter started out with them, and some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea, and Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Cornelius isn't messing around, is he? He said, I am so excited. God is about to do something. I don't know what it is. I don't know who Peter is, but I need everyone I know to hear what's about to happen. And as Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. Can I tell you that for Peter, there probably would have been some satisfaction to see a Roman soldier bowing down in front of him? The Romans, the invading army, and a Roman humbling himself in front of Peter. But Peter doesn't take the opportunity to to get his back. Instead, he says, I'm just a man. I'm only a man myself. Kind of sounds like he's saying, just like you. And while talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. I wonder, this is just for fun, I wonder what that felt like for Peter, Peter. God sends you to somebody to speak to, and you're not really sure if you want to go. You're just pretty sure that God's going to kick your butt if you don't. Um, See, Peter's read Jonah. You remember the story of Jonah? Jonah, God says, go to Assyria and and, uh, tell everyone to repent. And Jonah goes down to uh, uh, Joppa, where Peter was. And he buys a ticket to go to Tarshish, which is exactly the opposite direction from Assyria. Because I'm not going. Then, of course, you know the story. God sends a big old storm, and, you know, everyone on the ship's going to die. And Jonah says, this is my fault. I said I wouldn't go. But Jonah doesn't say, turn the boat around. I'll go to Assyria now like God wants me to. He says, throw me over the side because I am not going to Assyria. So they throw him over the side, and the storm calms. But God's still not done. God sends a great fish. It doesn't say whale, just in case you're curious. God sends a great fish and swallows Jonah up, and Jonah's balled up in this fish, and he's like. Like, seriously, God, how are you going to get the message? I do not want to go to Assyria. But after three days inside the stinky fish, Jonah says, Assyria has to be better than this. And the fish takes him, vomits him out on the shore. That sounds pleasant, doesn't it? And then he finds he is right next to Assyria. Like God has taken him to the closest place to Assyria. And he goes and he finally preaches the message, but he's still not happy about it. Jonah is this incredible book. See, I I think that for Peter to walk into this room, there are all these Gentiles everywhere. It probably would have been hard for him. But Peter says, I know God's doing something here. I don't know what it is. I feel like I need to run all these people through a Brita so that we can all be okay together. I am intensely uncomfortable. I don't know what God's doing. And so he continues to wait Right? So Peter uh, says, stand up, I'm only a man myself. And he says, it's against the law for me to come and be in your house, which really probably recommends him to the guests there. But he says, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. He didn't say I came joyfully, did he? I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? This is Peter who on Pentecost Sunday was in an upper room and the Holy Spirit came on him and he went outside with everybody and they're all speaking different languages, telling about Jesus Christ to a bunch of strangers in the street. God didn't come in a vision and and God didn't say there are men waiting for you to take you someplace and I'm sending you there. Peter is bold and he shares the message of who Jesus is, even though Jesus had just been killed for it. But when he goes to the house of the Gentiles and he knows that God has sent him, he still hesitates. And I think Peter's being pretty amazing here, just to be clear. This is not about put Peter down day. May I ask why you sent for me? It's like, why don't you just tell them the gospel? That's clearly why God has sent you. And Cornelius has to tell his story. Three days ago, I was in my house praying at this hour. And a man in shining clothes stood before me and said, God has heard my prayers. Send to Jampa for Peter. And I sent for you immediately. Now we are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Commanded you to tell us. And then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts from every nation, the one who fears him and does what is right. And then he tells them all about Jesus. Folks, I've had this experience, not quite so spectacularly. I've had this experience where people I thought couldn't, didn't belong or could never belong to the Christian faith. God was clearly telling me to talk about Jesus to them. And I have a mixed record. One of my... One of the moments I'm most ashamed of in my life. I was, I think, 11 years old. had a sleepover for a friend's birthday, and there was quite a mix of people there. Several of them were people that I never would have spent time with on my own. Didn't like them. They didn't like me. And uh, one of them was a big Nirvana fan. Remember Seattle? This is the early '90s. Uh, th- this is a big deal. And he put on a Nirvana music video, and I remember Kurt Cobain is is there. He's, I don't remember what song it is, but he's singing a song, and Jesus is being crucified in the background. And I said, I'm offended by that. Who does Kurt Cobain think he is? And my this guy who I didn't like, who loved Kurt, and, you know, loved Nirvana, said he's showing respect to Jesus. And I said, Jesus doesn't want his respect. Folks, it's in our hearts to separate ourselves from the people that Jesus loves. To say, I don't want you as part of my community. But here's the thing about Peter and this whole story. God's going to do what he's going to do. Do you notice that who is the most unnecessary character in this whole story? It's Peter. God spoke to Cornelius in a vision. Did he need Peter? Couldn't God have just said, hey, I love you, Cornelius, and you have loved me. I'm going to tell you all about Jesus. He didn't need Peter. See, maybe this story is actually less about Cornelius, and maybe it's more about Peter. Maybe it's less that Cornelius needed Jesus, and maybe it's more that Peter needed to see that the gospel is off limits to nobody, that anyone can come to Jesus. You know, we often want people to clean themselves up before we're willing to have them in church. People feel that way, too. I've invited so many people to church, and they say, "If I, you know, I'm not going to come. I think if I did, the church would probably fall in on me. And I'm like, oh, you're so wrong, because the church didn't fall in on me. <laughs> God is calling you. Not because you are already clean, but because he is the one who makes us clean. God is calling me to, to you so that all understand something more of who he is. He is bigger than me. He loves more than just me. He loves deeper than me. This story is really about Peter because he's the most unnecessary character in all of it. And folks, God doesn't need a church in Lemon Cove to tell Lemon Cove about himself. He can do that on his own. But he calls us to be a part of that because, first of all, then we get the joy, just like Peter. Because what happens next? Peter tells them all about Jesus and says, While Peter was still speaking, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who had come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on the Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. And Peter said, No one can stand in the way of their being baptized. Whereas in the, the case of the Samaritans, Peter was called to Samaria because they believed in Jesus but hadn't received the Holy Spirit. And God says, I want you to establish that these people belong to Jesus for the sake of the church and for your sake and for theirs. With Cornelius, he already belonged to Jesus. And Peter's saying, there's nothing I can do to stop it, and why would I? And Peter was transformed by that experience. So if we're going to do something about this this week, If we're going to let this make a difference in our lives, here's what we need to do. We need to look around and we need to find the people that we think God would never want that person, God would never care about that person, by which we usually mean I would never want or care about that person. And we need to offer that up to God in prayer, first of all, and say, hey, God, I've got some of that hardest stone left over and I need you to give me a soft heart so that I won't treat people this way. And then secondly, we need to say, God, how do you want me to serve that person that I don't love and I don't like and who is so very different? That person I want to run through the Brita like I can make them clean when only God can.